Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Grimaldi with Street Talk Theology. We take theology and bring it to the streets. It is sermon time again. Today we are going to speak about worship God, not creation. And you'll see the psalmist speak about the natural revelation of God. But what's more important is the divine revelation of God. So with no further ado, part one on worship God and not creation. You know, nothing in earth is as beautiful as you. Why is that? The song, because he created the earth, right? I mean, he's, and as, and as we're speaking about that, again, we're in Genesis, we'll be speaking about that for probably the next couple of years, um, since it's 50 chapters. Don't laugh, Sue, I see you laughing. Um, but, but nothing in earth is as beautiful as him because he created the earth. And he's the author of creation, as the song uh, depicted, as we read. Now, last week, let's kind of go over what we went over last week. Last week, we looked at day two and three of creation. On the second day, God separated the atmospheric waters, right, from the earth's waters. So on the second day, God is starting to, now hear this, God is starting to structure the earth, right? And then on the third day, he sets boundaries for the seas, right? He separates them, as mentioned, so the dry land can appear, right? God is shaping the world so it can produce. So he's structuring the earth, Dave, right? And now he's shaping the world so it can produce. All done, Joe, in decency and order, right? In fact, God brings the fertile land, a land, it's almost... It's, Glinda, it's like a pregnant term. It's a land ready to give birth. Right? So the fertile land that's ready to give birth, a land that's able to not only produce, see, it's different, not only produce, but to sustain. That's why when I don't understand, and then, and you know, Charlie, we speak about being small minded, meaning me. I don't understand how people can think of, of God creating the earth in billions of years when he's creating these, 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 this vegetation. Now, how's it going to stay there? I mean, how's it going to stay? I mean, if it's not being, uh, being brought so it can produce. So when you see this thing, God is not only bringing these the vegetations and things like that, it's bringing it so it can produce. It's ready to give birth. Meaning with, meaning with God, now think about this. With God, there's always a beginning with a future in sight. The vegetation is there to sustain beasts. Of course, man, who would be made what? In the imago Deo, in the image of God. As we remember, Casuto reminded us, that two works were performed on the third day. The separation from the sea, from the dry land, and the creation of plants, and both were deemed good, right? 
And again, both have a future goal. Everything in God's economy, Joe, moves forward. Nothing moves backwards in God's mind. He's way ahead of any human thought. So think about this. Keep this in your watch pocket. God creates, he separates, then he fills, and then he he gives his creative acts their function. All done in decency and order. Everything in decency and order. We also contemplated that when we look at this creation that God has bestowed on us, we need to ponder and realize his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. And I said this in my opening prayer. Every air that we breathe, every morsel that we eat is all because of this great benevolence that God has bestowed on us by his grace. And, and you know, Paul speaks in Romans, and we're going to talk about that today because... I think it's an important concept, Sonny, as we think about this. Paul speaks about in Romans about this great God who spoke the world. Think about a God who can speak the world into existence. I don't know, Mark, if we think about that enough. You know, let there wa- let there be and there was. First cause, you know, God, God, some, God uses secondary causes. You know, he uses sometimes an east wind to bring the quail. He uses people like ourselves to bring the gospel. Right. But but in the in the creation account, he's the first cause. He speaks things into existence. But here's the deal. And I don't get this is hard to wrap your mind around. The Bible says that the natural revelation of God, the sea and the sun and the moon and the stars, that's enough to let you understand that there's a God. But it's not enough. For you to believe in the unless God gives you the spirit. So that stuff's hard. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the 19th Psalm and I'm going to look at the I'm going to look at natural revelation first. And then I'm going to look at divine revelation. But in the sandwich, I'm going to make a sandwich. How's that? You guys hungry? I'm going to make a sandwich for you guys. I'm going to use the ninth, the first six verses of the 19th Psalm. Then I'm going to go to Genesis, and that's going to be the meat of the sandwich, Miss Ashley. And then I'm going to go to the end of the 19th Psalm and kind of close out the sandwich. And then we'll, we'll end up in James. How's that? Okay. So stick with me. Go to the 19th Psalm. Right? It's easy for me. I got it all packed up here. And, and now this is going to be natural revelation. Now, do you know that natural revelation is the things we see God speaks into existence. Divine revelation is when we start understanding the natural revelation as a gift from God. Now, you need the what for that, Harlan? You need the spirit for that. Right? So here's God's natural revelation first. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are their words, their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course." It is rising from one end of the heavens 
and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Natural revelation depicts that there's something so much bigger than me or you. And no, it's not Mother Nature, as some say, but it is God who is the maker of heaven and earth. And this constant rendering of the glory of God, as we have mentioned, cannot be missed. It's like a euphony. Right? It's like a euphony which again never stops moving, showing its wonderful display. It's a masterpiece of creation. God's an artist. I mean, he's an artist. He's speaking things into existence. Now, to some, this is just normal occurrences. But that's a wrong assumption, a very wrong assumption. This is God's handiwork being displayed, which again, Paul says, will leave people without excuse. Again, this is way above my pay grade. Because Paul says, when you see this creation, you're going to be without excuse. But unless the Spirit of God enlightens you, unless the Spirit of God illuminates you, you will just... That's why people worship the creation over the Creator. And then, and this is again this 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 sovereignty and responsibility that's that's hard to depict. But Paul says you're going to be responsible for seeing this creation. But unless you get the Spirit, you can't acknowledge it is coming from God. But but that's just what we have to deal with. That's that. You know, Spurgeon calls that an antinomy. But again, let's speak about God's. And natural revelation. There is no speech, nor there are words, and there's no voice. Now, this is hard. Now, look at verse 3. It says, there's no speech, nor there are words, and no voice. Why? Why does it say that? Because it's not needed. The handiwork of God is all to see. And though it is silent, now watch this. I know, don't, don't, don't charge me. I know it's, I know it's silence, but it speaks volumes. Right? You got that day? I mean, you see this creation, and, and the, the creation is actually screaming at you that there's a God. Right? So get that? So it's silent, but it's not silent. It's silent in the fact that you don't hear it, but it speaks volumes. Carolyn got it? But it speaks volumes. Great word. That's why Hebrew narrative, man, when you start, as we learn together about Hebrew narrative, it's so picturesque and it so brings forth these, these great pictures of something being silent, but not silent. Because it speaks, the creation speaks volumes. Extending to the whole world, verse 4. Watki depicts the creation is so vast, it's so enormous, it becomes a tent. For the sun. And the sun is always protruding, ready to make its entrance. The glory of God's light cannot and will not be held back. Now, now, they, the, the, the psalmist uses a picture of a bridegroom running to its wedding. When I read this, my mind went, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about the sun ready to come bursting out. I'm thinking about the Kentucky Derby, right? I'm thinking about when them horses are in the stall. You watch them, Charlie, right? They can't wait to come bursting out. As soon as it, so the sun, 
right? You know, it's like a bridegroom, Judy, running towards wedding. But what about them horses when they're ready in the Kentucky Derby, right? Ready to be burst out. That's what the sun, that's the wording here in, in the protrusion of the sun. And the sun is so warm. It is God's universal heater. I was thinking, think about this. Sometimes Rachel gets her electric bill and she'll say, man, Dominic, and she'll blame me, obviously. I'm only kidding. She goes, my bill is too high. Imagine the bill with the, uh, the, the heater that the, that the sun uh, heats the whole. Imagine that electric bill. Right? It's not a, what about a water bill, right, Tim? But you think about, you think about how God is heating this whole world with the sun. I don't know if we think about that enough. I mean, the sun is so warm, it's God's universal heater. Right? It never stops. Even the lesser light governs the night, right? Think about it being so radiant, the whole creation, as vast as it is, lights up and gives warmth to the whole universe. That's hard to wrap our minds around, man. This concept, and, and more of that, we take it for granted. Do we realize our sun rising and setting in its various degrees? So think about this, Harlan. 120 in Phoenix, 115 in Sub-Saharan Africa, 60 degrees in Minnesota, right? I mean, you think about how this, how God is governing all these temperatures and all the, I mean, it's amazing. With that in mind, I want to go that, now that's natural revelation. Now I want to go to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 1. Let's get back to our text. And we'll get back to the other end of the sandwich in a, in a bit. Let's go to, this is day number what? Four. Day number four. Now I want you to notice something. So let me, let me ask you a question. What comes up in the day? Son, good. That's an easy record. It's not a trick question, right? What comes up in the night? The moon. Right, I mean, okay. right. This, I'm just now, but I'm, I'm saying this for a reason, because remember, Hebrew. When you, when in, in the Hebrew language, there's reasons why things are said. So, what comes up in the morning, Judy? What comes up in the evening? The moon, right? I mean, that's that's you know, that's basically. But I want you, I want you to see how the language is here, and and we'll explain. And God said, verse, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the light, let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. A greater light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. And also the stars. And also the stars. Are you kidding me? As an afterthought? And the stars? I'll get to that. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And to rule the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, 
a fourth day. Some expositors will remind us the length of this section of scriptures and there's a theological reason for it. And it's because of idolatry. These lights, as we know them, as what? The sun and the moon. But notice they're not mentioned by name because the divine author knows that the sun and the moon were objects of worship. But these entities are basically putty in the potter's hands. Cavilla rightly depicts that in verses 16 and 17, he, God, makes them both, he places them, and he regulates them. Again, we know people will worship the creation over the creator, but all they are here, as Cavilla depicts, as cosmic clocks. They regulate day and night, serving the interests of the earth and really serving God. So this is why, again, you don't see sun and moon mentioned, because the author here, and we believe it could have been very well been Moses, here the author will not mention sun and moon, because sun and moon at that time was worship. So we just, they're just kind of things that are serving God. They're serving God. Right now, this is important. They're reduced to managers. In fact, in 14 through 18, Cavilla rightly depicts that the lesser and greater lights are used to govern. They're used to separate. They're ruled to give light. They are created, now listen to this word, they're created to function. Under God, for God, and according to God. Remember, it goes back to let there be light. Remember, Glenda, we were talking about this? Let there be light, and there was light. Again, all in the potter's divine hand. Now, God put these lights in the world to regulate night and day, and times, and seasons. They're servants, right? Last week I mentioned the light and darkness were created in Genesis 1. Remember we had that question, verse 2 and 3? Now they seem to appear again. So that's a question that people have said, well, you know, God created, you know, light and darkness in, in verse 1. Now they're back again. But remember what I said earlier. God creates, he separates, he fills, and then he gives his creative acts their function. So here, think about it this way. God creates the earth, then produces light and darkness, and then separates them. Now, Hamilton is helpful. The light is general or unspecified. Now they are deemed specific sources of light used for marking time, and we know them today as the sun and the moon, the the greater and the lesser light. Well, just like he separates the waters above and the waters below, eventually God would fill them with living creatures and give them their function. So what God is doing symmetrically, he is not only creating and sustaining and filling, but now he's given things their function. Just like he's going to give Adam and Eve their function to create and to, to multiply. And So God here is symmetrically... Laying out the world so we anthropomorphically can understand it. And it's a tough word. But it means he's kind of breaking it down in our language so we can understand what's going on here. So here, again, the luminaries will not be mentioned by moon and sun because of their, because they were worshipped at that time. So just like he separates the waters above, the waters below, eventually God would fill them with living creatures and give them their function. 
You know, hard stuff, but good stuff. I mean, just things we have to think about. He also creates the land and then fills it with fruits and vegetables as their function. What God is doing is everything in decency and order, symmetrical, if you will. He's creating, producing, filling, sustaining. It's exactly what he's doing. And when you look at this stuff, we, we read this and sometimes we just take it for granted of, of how symmetrical God is bringing this earth to fruition. And, and I think about, for, for me, when I think about this, we mentioned this, and we'll probably mention it every week, that God did not have to do this. He did not have to create this earth. But he did it mainly for his people. Really. I mean, think about him, this earth mainly created for God's elect. I mean, it's when I think about, I just, because he knew that the gospel had to be preached, he knew the end from the beginning, and again, we know that God is outside of time, but Gary, he puts himself in time. And and again, when when I study the creation accounts, and then I, again, I look at, at the creation when I go go just walking around, it just makes me appreciate this benevolent God of how good he is to his people. I mean, we take it so much for granted. We get up in the morning, we see the sunlight, we go, we go to sleep at night, we see these sunsets. And I don't know if we, Charlie, we think about enough how benevolent and how good this God is to just give us, even Cindy, the air that we breathe. And, and again, speaking things into existence and, and, and let there be and there was. And it just shows, again, uh, people will be without excuse. Again, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this. And, and here's the other thing. This is the thing that really blows me away. And I'm, I'm, So we made these two lights... One greater and one lesser, and also the stars. Are you kidding? And also the stars. In consulting answers in Genesis, it said today that the local Milky Way galaxy of which our sun is a part has been found to contain over two million stars. That's just in the Milky Way galaxy. And, the, and he just created these stars. Mark, wait a minute. Can you, I mean, this is way, and he, not even like, just like as an afterthought, oh, by the way, I'll just create the star. Dan Peer, the stars. I'm just going to speak them and they're going to go into existence. Listen to this statistic that I have. I, I should have memorized it, so I don't have to go back and forth. But but th- think about this. I, I got this statistic. Wouldn't it sound, if somebody would count three stars per second, after a hundred years, he would have counted less than 5% of this number, Glinda. Wait a minute. You don't know. We don't understand how great this God is. Rachel, Ashley, and, and he created the stars also. Boom. Ben likes to use that when he's doing his Bible study. Boom. I mean, think about this, Ben. Think about this God. And he created this. 
Sue, this blows me away. And he created the stars also. Carolyn, I mean, just wow. And, and this is a God that the world is rejecting. This is a God that, that they, they, they're going to worship a star, right? Or, or, or some creation that he created. I mean, um, that's, that's, see the way, see the way Joe's looking? That's when you read that. And he, and the stars also. And, 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 and this is the God that we serve. That created these stars. Billions of stars. I'm Mark, how do you wrap your mind around that? You can't. You can't. And when, when I read that, and, and the stars also. You know, it's like just an afterthought. Our galaxy comprises not only of an imaginable host of stars, but the size of this bright starry band in the sky is also astounding. It is distance, its distance is said to be a hundred thousand light years. I mean, we think about this God and what he's done creating these stars as an afterthought to serve the earth and their function. And at that time, it was used for traveling. Today, we have astronomers who study them. But again, the world wants to downplay this great God. Why? Because human pride would not allow for the one true maker of heaven and earth. Because men cannot really wrap their mind around him. So instead, they want to dismiss dismiss him out of hand. But Paul reminds us, as we've mentioned, they'll be without excuse. They'll be without excuse. You see, studying the creation account is much more than... I'm going to get to a point here. There's there's going to be a point here that we're going to get to that we're going to tie this up in a second. But but in, in, you see, in studying the creation, God is much more than actual creation. Yes, of course, that's important. But creation, now here's the challenge. Creation must take us to a deeper playing field. Let me say that again. Looking at creation must lead us to a deeper Playing field. It must take, it must take us to a level of contemplation as our thought process examine the creation and who's behind it and also the reason why it was made. So we think about this sovereign God who knows the end from the beginning, who has given his people his earth, as we've mentioned, but there's even more. The create, now think about this, the creation would be a landing place For God of the universe in Christ, who would come through the birth channels of a woman and redeem his people from their sins. Even though this great God would be rejected, even though he made the world, but the world knew him not, he still had a purpose. He still had a people. And I hear God, God, oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable are his ways. But there's a purpose. There's always a purpose. Because the creation, now think about this, the creation account points to the ultimate creation when God will redeem his people from their Sins. We cannot read the Genesis account without this in mind. 
He creates in his people a new heart, not one of stone, but one of flesh. Again, what a God we serve who knew no sin, became sin, so we can become the righteousness of God in Christ. Like Matthews depicts, Genesis shows that the sun and moon are not cosmic deities worthy of reverence. And the stars are no more than light-bearing bodies that are subservient to the function of the earth. Isaiah depicts you look up to the sky and see these stars. It's an everlasting God who not only created them, but leads forth their host by number and he calls them all by name. And not one of them is missing. God is going to go beyond natural revelation. Revelation is Natural revelation is going to leave you without excuse. But unless God... Miss Ashley gives you divine revelation. We would die in our sins. We would die in our sins. And, and that's the that's the part that we have to embrace. That's the part we need to embrace. That's the part that we need to be challenged with. Is that unless God gives you by grace through His Spirit the natural revelation that God has given, He's given by way of gift. The Bible says that God, Rachel, reigns on the what? The just and the unjust. Right? So he's given this natural revelation by way of gift. Right? But divine revelation, he's only given to his people. I, that's way above my pay grade. But let's, let's go back to the psalm. And, now, and we'll, and we'll kind of look at that and we'll kind of line it up. As we, as, as best as we can, as best as we can understand this. None of this stuff is easy. So let's go back to the 19th Psalm. And let's read the second part of that. Starting, now watch this. Now you'll see it's, now you'll start seeing things like restoring the soul and, and, um, rejoicing in the heart and, and things like that. You'll see, an understanding. And then you'll see when someone understands, they'll start confessing their sins. Because once somebody, the Spirit of God illuminates, you see the creation, but the creation has got to lead you to something more. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making the wise the simple. Making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Even more much than fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of a honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave, your servant, is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me, his confession, of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant or your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not... Rule over me. Notice the creation language is now being used to, actually in the spirit here, do not let them rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. The law of the Lord is perfect. There's no imperfection. Spurgeon says it is a crime to add to it, treason to alter it, and a felony to take from it. This is Street Talk Theology. We take theology and bring it to the streets. I hope you enjoyed part one of Worship God and Not Creation. So stay tuned next week for part two. God bless. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.